This episode of the OrthoBullets podcast will go over the topic of osteopenia and osteoporosis from the basic science section on orthobullets.com. Let's start this episode with a quick summary. Osteopenia and osteoporosis represent a continuum of conditions that present with a decrease in bone mass and disrupted bone microarchitecture, most commonly as a result of increased age, menopause, and metabolic abnormalities. Diagnosis is made with a lumbar-based DEXA scan with osteopenia having a T-score of 1 to 2.5 standard deviations below the peak bone mass of a 25-year-old individual and osteoporosis having a T-score greater than 2.5 standard deviations below the peak bone mass of a 25-year-old individual. Treatment involves a multidisciplinary approach with medical management and physical activity to increase bone mineral density and to help prevent fractures. Now, let's get into the episode. With respect to epidemiology, as far as incidence of osteopenia and osteoporosis, 10 million Americans and 200 million people worldwide have osteoporosis. 34 million Americans have osteopenia. Note that there are 1.5 million osteoporotic fractures that occur each year. 700,000 are vertebral fractures, 300,000 are hip fractures, and 200,000 are wrist fractures. Moving on to the demographics of osteopenia and osteoporosis, the male-to-female ratio is 1 to 4. Note that men have a higher prevalence of secondary osteoporosis at 60%, including hypogonadism, glucocorticoid excess, and alcoholism. As far as the age bracket of osteoporosis, postmenopausal osteoporosis is highest in women aged 50 to 70 years old. Senile osteoporosis begins after 70 years old. Secondary osteoporosis begins at any age. In terms of age bracket of fractures, wrist fractures occur most commonly at age 50 to 60 years old. Vertebral fractures occur most commonly at age 60 to 70 years old. Hip fractures occur most commonly at age 70 to 80 years old. In terms of anatomic location of osteopenia and osteoporosis, the vertebral body is the most common, then the peritrochanteric femur, and then the distal radius. Risk factors for osteopenia and osteoporosis can be related to lifestyle, medications, genetic polymorphisms, and certain diseases. So lifestyle risk factors include a sedentary lifestyle, Caucasian women of Northern European descent, smokers, low body weight, low protein intake, heavy drinkers, a positive family history, premature menopause, and breastfeeders with low vitamin D diets. Medications include phenytoin or dilantin therapy, which reduces vitamin D metabolism, cytotoxic slash antineoplastic drugs, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors or SSRIs like fluoxetine, sertraline, and paroxetine, antiretroviral therapy, cyclosporine, furosemide, high-dose methotrexate, oversupplementation with levothyroxine, omeprazole, glucocorticoids, unfractionated heparin and low-molecular weight heparin, vitamin A, and thiazolidinedienes, such as rosaglitazone, otherwise known as Avandia. Risk factors related to genetic polymorphisms include calcitonin receptor mutations, estrogen receptor 1, type 1 collagen alpha-1 chain or COL1A1, which is implicated in osteogenesis imperfecta in adults, vitamin D receptor mutations, and LRPS or low-density lipoprotein receptor-related protein. Diseases that are risk factors for osteopenia and osteoporosis include malabsorption syndromes, liver disease, hyperthyroidism, type 1 diabetes mellitus, cancer, chronic renal failure, COPD, rheumatoid arthritis, and sarcoidosis. Now let's talk about the etiology of osteopenia and osteoporosis. As far as pathophysiology, these are quantitative, not qualitative disorders of bone mineralization. Factors include failure to build peak bone mass as a young adult, 
and bone loss in later life. In terms of genetics, there can be polymorphisms in the genes for the calcitonin receptor, estrogen receptor 1, and type 1 collagen alpha-1 chain, or the vitamin D receptor, which have all been shown to be associated with osteoporosis. Associated conditions include fragility fractures, which have a direct relationship between the degree of bone loss and fractures. Kyphotic deformity can arise from vertebral body fractures. Pelvic ring insufficiency fractures most often are treated with bed rest and analgesia, and know that total hip arthroplasty with constrained components are a risk factor for fragility fractures. Osteopenia and osteoporosis is associated with a 20% increase in mortality. Know that men have a higher mortality rate following hip fractures than women. Osteopenia and osteoporosis is also associated with increased morbidity, as these patients will have a reduced quality of life, and only one-third of patients with hip fractures return to their previous level of function. Remember that a history of one hip fracture results in up to a tenfold increased risk of a second hip fracture. Moving on to classification, let's go over the difference between type 1 versus type 2 osteoporosis. So type 1 osteoporosis is postmenopausal, and type 2 osteoporosis is known as senile osteoporosis. So let's go over the differences between the two based on age group, the bones affected, the bones fractured, effect on calcium, and effect on vitamin D. So starting with type 1, in terms of age group, Again, this is the postmenopausal group, which has the highest incidence in 50 to 70 years old. As far as the type of bone affected in type 1 osteoporosis, it's almost exclusively trabecular bone. Bones fractured include the distal radius and vertebral fractures. As far as effect on calcium, there is a net negative change in calcium levels because of decreased intestinal absorption and increased urinary excretion of calcium. Finally, in terms of effect on vitamin D, Type 1 osteoporosis will have reduced circulating levels of total, but not free, 125-dihydroxyvitamin D. Moving on to type 2 or senile osteoporosis, the age group is defined as greater than 70 years old. As far as bones affected, trabecular bone is affected more than cortical bone. Bones fractured include hip and pelvis. And as far as effect on calcium, there is poor calcium absorption in type 2 osteoporosis. Moving on to imaging, Indications for radiographs include suspicion of fracture, loss of height, and pain in the thoracic or lumbar spine. Recommended views include lateral spine radiographs as well as AP pelvis or hip radiographs. Findings include thin cortices, loss of trabecular bone, kyphosis, and codfish vertebra. In terms of sensitivity and specificity, this is usually not helpful unless there is greater than 30% bone loss. A DEXA scan, or dual-energy X-ray absorptometry, is usually performed in the lumbar spine and the hip. DEXA scans in the lumbar spine measures bone mineral density from L2 to L4 and compiles scores. DEXA scans in the hip measures bone mineral density from the femoral neck, trochanter, and intertrochanteric region, and then compiles scores. As far as sensitivity and specificity, this is the most accurate with the least radiation exposure. Now let's go over some DEXA scan definitions. We'll talk about bone mineral density, T-score, Z-score, osteopenia, and osteoporosis. So bone mineral density is an absolute patient-specific score determined from certain anatomic areas. A T-score is bone mineral density relative to normal young match controls or 25 to 30-year-old women. A Z-score is bone mineral density relative to similar aged patients. Osteopenia is defined as L2 to L4 lumbar density of 1 to 2.5 standard deviations or a T-score of negative 1 to negative 2.5 below the peak bone mass of a 25-year-old individual. And finally, osteoporosis is defined as L2 to L4 lumbar density with greater than 2.5 standard deviations or a T-score of less than minus 2.5 below the peak bone mass of a 25-year-old individual.
Moving on to studies to obtain in the workup of osteopenia and osteoporosis, lab should include a 25-hydroxyvitamin D level, as you will have low 25-hydroxycholecalciferol levels, or 25-hydroxyvitamin D, in patients sustaining low-energy fractures. Other labs may be drawn to rule out other causes of osteoporosis, such as endocrine, hematologic, malignancy, etc. Know that labs are generally normal in osteoporosis. Biopsy may be indicated after tetracycline labeling, and indications for this is that it may be helpful to rule out osteomalacia. As far as histology, you may find thin trabeculae, decreased osteon size, enlarged haversion and marrow spaces, and in terms of the osteoclast ruffled border, you will have increases in osteoclast ruffle borders seen with PTH, 125-hydroxyvitamin D3, and prostaglandin E. A flattened ruffle border is seen with bisphosphonates and calcitonin. Moving on to the differential, let's go over the differences between osteoporosis and osteomalacia. So osteoporosis is defined as reduced bone mass with normal mineralization, while osteomalacia is defined as bone mass being variable with reduced mineralization. As far as the age that osteoporosis is seen, this can be seen in postmenopausal women, otherwise known as type 1 osteoporosis, or in elderly patients, otherwise known as type 2 or senile osteoporosis, as we previously mentioned. Osteomalacia can occur at any age. As far as the etiology of osteoporosis, this can be from an endocrine abnormality, age, idiopathic, inactivity, alcohol, or calcium deficiency. Osteomalacia can be secondary to vitamin D deficiency or abnormal vitamin D pathway, hypophosphatemia, hypophosphatasia, and renal tubular acidosis. In terms of symptoms and signs of osteoporosis, patients may have pain and tenderness at a fracture site, while symptoms and signs in osteomalacia includes generalized bone pain and tenderness. On x-ray in the setting of osteoporosis, you may find axial fracture predominance, while an x-ray in osteomalacia will show an appendicular fracture predominance, it will also be symmetric and may include pseudofractures, otherwise known as looser zones. In terms of serum calcium in osteoporosis, it will be normal, while in osteomalacia, it can be low or normal. Serum phosphate in osteoporosis is also normal, while in osteomalacia, it can be low or normal. Alkaline phosphatase, or ALP, will be normal in osteoporosis, However, it will be elevated in osteomalacia, except in the setting of hypophosphatasia. Urinary calcium in osteoporosis can be normal or high, while in osteomalacia will be normal or low. However, it will be high in hypophosphatasia. Finally, with respect to bone biopsy in the setting of osteoporosis, tetracycline labeling will be normal, while in the setting of osteomalacia, tetracycline labeling will be abnormal. Moving on to the treatment of osteopenia and osteoporosis, this can be non-operative or operative. Non-operative management includes lifestyle modifications and vitamins and pharmacologic treatment. Vitamins include calcium and vitamin D. In terms of indications for pharmacologic treatment, the 2008 National Osteoporosis Foundation Guidelines for Pharmacologic Treatment of Osteoporosis suggest that pharmacologic treatment be considered for postmenopausal women and men greater than or equal to 50 years old with hip-slash-vertebral fracture, a T-score between minus 1 and minus 2.5 at the femoral neck slash spine, and a 10-year risk of hip fracture of greater than or equal to 3%, or a 10-year risk of major osteoporosis-related fracture of greater than or equal to 20% by FRAX calculation. It can also be indicated for postmenopausal women and men greater than or equal to 50 years old with a T-score of minus 2.5 or less at the femoral neck slash spine. Pharmacologic agents include calcium and vitamin D, bisphosphonates, conjugated estrogen progesterone hormone replacement, or HRT, estrogen-only replacement, or ERT, 
salmon calcitonin, otherwise known as Fortical or miacalcin, raloxifene, otherwise known as Avista, and teriparatide, also known as Forteo. There are operative options for osteoporotic vertebral compression fractures, femoral neck fractures, and distal radius fractures. Now, let's talk about pharmacologic agents in a bit more detail. Starting with bisphosphonates, this is first-line therapy for osteoporosis. Indications for pharmacologic treatment include hip or vertebral fractures, a T-score of less than 2.5 at the femoral neck or spine after exclusion of secondary causes, and low bone mass, that is a T-score between minus 1 and minus 2.5, and 10-year probability of a hip fracture greater than or equal to 3% or greater, or a 10-year probability of a major osteoporosis-related fracture of greater than or equal to 20% based on the WHO algorithm slash fracs. As far as the mechanism of bisphosphonates, they accumulate at sites of bone remodeling and are incorporated into bone matrix. They are released into an acid environment once the bone is resorbed and are then taken up by osteoclasts. There is then a decrease in osteoclastic bone resorption, flattening of the osteoclast ruffle border, and increased osteoclast apoptosis. Keep in mind that bisphosphonates are renally excreted without undergoing metabolism. The exact mechanism depends on the presence of a nitrogen on the alkyl chain, which we'll talk more about in a moment. In terms of the technique of bisphosphonates, there's improved rates of treatment when coordinated by the treating orthopedic surgeon and referral to an osteoporosis clinic is made. These patients should undergo a DEXA scan and referral to an endocrinologist. In terms of outcomes, know that alendronate reduces the rate of hip, spine, and wrist fractures by 50%. Resendronate reduces vertebral and non-vertebral fractures by 40% each over three years. IV zolendronic acid reduces the rate of spine fractures by 70% and hip fractures by 40% over three years. Now let's talk about the different osteoporosis medications. We'll go over calcium and vitamin D, non-nitrogen-containing bisphosphonates, nitrogen-containing bisphosphonates, conjugated estrogen-progesterone hormone replacement, estrogen-only replacement, testosterone, salmon calcitonin, raloxifene, teriparatide, denosumab, and romazosumab. Starting with calcium and vitamin D, this is indicated as a prophylaxis in all patients, however, is best for type 2 or senile osteoporosis. In terms of the effects, calcium reduces fracture risk by 34%. Vitamin D supplementation reduces hip fracture risk by 10% and non-vertebral fracture risk by 7%. High-dose vitamin D, that is defined as a median of 800 international units per day, reduces hip fractures by 24% and non-vertebral fractures by 30%. As far as characteristics, daily calcium requirements are as follows. Age 1 to 3 years should be 500 mg per day. Age 4 to 8 years should be 800 mg per day. Age 9 to 18 years should be 1,000 to 1,500 mg per day and age greater than 50 years old should be 1,200 to 1,500 milligrams per day. The vitamin D requirement is 800 to 1,000 international units. Moving on to non-nitrogen-containing bisphosphonates, indications include a T-score of less than minus 2.5 standard deviations, fragility fracture of the hip, in both men and women. The mechanism is producing a toxic ATP analog. Examples of non-nitrogen-containing bisphosphonates include etidronate, clodronate, and telidronate. Contraindication-slash-adverse effects of non-nitrogen-containing bisphosphonates include esophagitis, dysphagia, gastric ulcers, osteonecrosis of the jaw, and atypical subtrochanteric fractures. Moving on to nitrogen-containing bisphosphonates, indications include a T-score of less than minus 2.5 standard deviations, fragility fracture of the hip in both men and women. The mechanism of nitrogen-containing bisphosphonates is inhibiting farnesyl pyrophosphate synthase, which is part of the mevalonate pathway. 
In terms of effects of nitrogen-containing bisphosphonates, note that alendronate reduces vertebral fractures by 48% and non-vertebral fractures by 47%. Resedronate reduces vertebral fractures by 65% and non-vertebral fractures by 39%. Ibrandronate reduces vertebral fracture risk by 77%, hip fractures by 41%, and non-vertebral fractures by 15%. Examples of nitrogen-containing bisphosphonates include pamidronate, alendronate or fosamax, resedronate or actinel, zolendronate or reclast, and ibandronate or boniva. Contraindications slash adverse effects of nitrogen-containing bisphosphonates include esophagitis, dysphagia, gastric ulcers, osteonecrosis of the jaw, and atypical subtrochanteric fractures. Moving on to conjugated estrogen, progesterone hormone replacement. This is indicated in women with type 1 osteoporosis within 6 years of menopause. In terms of contraindications slash adverse effects, Know that conjugated estrogen progesterone hormone replacement decreases the risk of hip fracture, but it can also lead to a small increase in a woman's risk of breast cancer, coronary artery disease, and heart attack, stroke, pulmonary embolism, DVT, and Alzheimer's disease. Moving on to estrogen-only replacement, this is indicated for women with prior hysterectomy. As far as characteristics, know that estrogen receptors are present on osteoblasts and osteoclasts. As far as contraindications and adverse effects, know that taking unconjugated estrogen alone increases the risk of endometrial hyperplasia slash uterine cancer. Moving on to testosterone, this is indicated in men with low levels of testosterone. Know that this is not yet approved by the FDA for osteoporosis. Moving on to salmon calcitonin, otherwise known as Fortical or Miocalcin, this is indicated in women over 5 years in menopause, and know that it decreases pain in acute vertebral compression fractures as it acts as a neurotransmitter. As far as mechanism of action, salmon calcitonin binds membrane receptors on osteoclasts to inhibit resorption. Know that salmon calcitonin can be administered as an injection or nasal spray, which is destroyed by gastric acid. As far as contraindications slash adverse effects, intranasal calcitonin can cause transient rhinitis, while the injectable calcitonin can cause nausea, vomiting, flushing, and hypersensitivity reactions. Moving on to raloxifene, or Avista, this is indicated in women. The mechanism is an agonist on estrogen receptors in bone, which reduces osteoclast resorption, and it also antagonizes the estrogen receptor in the breast, reducing breast cancer risk. As far as characteristics of raloxifene, or Avista, know that selective estrogen receptor modulators, or SERMs, slows bone resorption, and there will be a mild increase in bone thickness. It also reduces the risk of vertebral fractures only, not non-vertebral fractures. Contraindications slash adverse effects of raloxifene include hot flashes, leg cramps, and know that it is contraindicated in patients with venous thromboembolism. Moving on to teriparatide or forteo, this is indicated in severe osteoporosis slash high fracture risk patients. As far as the mechanism, know that there are receptors on osteoblasts that activate osteoblasts, and renal tubule cells also stimulate intestinal absorption of calcium and phosphate. As far as characteristics of teriparatide or forteo, know that it involves 134-amino-terminal residues of parathyroid hormone and is given by daily subcutaneous injections. Know that continuous infusion leads to bone resorption. As far as contraindications adverse effects, Teriparatide can cause transient hypercalcemia, dizziness, nausea, and headache. It is contraindicated in Paget's disease due to potential for osteosarcoma risk. Moving on to denosumab, otherwise known as prolia, this is indicated in postmenopausal women at high risk of fracture. The mechanism is a monoclonal immunoglobulin against RankL, which inhibits binding of RankL to rank, like osteoprotegrin. 
As far as the effects of denosumab, it reduces vertebral fractures by 68%, hip fractures by 40%, and non-vertebral fractures by 20%. It is administered as a subcutaneous injection to the arm, thigh, or abdomen. As far as adverse effects, denosumab can cause arthralgia, nasopharyngitis, back pain, and osteonecrosis of the jaw, and know that it is contraindicated in severe hypocalcemia. Finally, moving on to romosozumab, otherwise known as Avenity, this is indicated in postmenopausal women with a history of osteoporotic fracture, multiple risk factors for fracture, or who have failed or are intolerant to other osteoporosis therapy. The mechanism involves a humanized monoclonal immunoglobulin that activates the Wnt pathway by binding sclerostin. Know that sclerostin normally inhibits the Wnt pathway. Romazosumab also promotes bone formation and inhibits resorption. As far as the effects of romosozumab, it reduces new vertebral fractures by 73% through month 12 and by 75% through month 24. Romazosumab is administered with subcutaneous monthly injections. Adverse effects include hyperostosis, cardiovascular events, osteoarthritis, and cancer, as well as osteonecrosis of the jaw and atypical femoral fractures. Now let's go over some of these medication complications in a bit more detail specifically osteonecrosis of the jaw, and atypical subtrochanteric transverse stress fractures. So osteonecrosis of the jaw is associated with IV bisphosphonates but not oral bisphosphonates. The incidence is rare, and the treatment is to stop the inciting medication such as bisphosphonate or denosumab. Atypical subtrochanteric transverse stress fractures in patients on long-term bisphosphonates has a rare incidence. However, the mechanism involves extremely low bone turnover rates and is shown by reduced markers of bone resorption, for example, urinary collagen type 1 cross-linked and telopeptide. The treatment involves operative fixation with an intramedullary nail and to stop the bisphosphonates. Now, let's end this review session talking about the prognosis of osteopenia and osteoporosis. Know that prior fragility fracture is the strongest predictor of a future fracture from low-energy trauma. Vertebral fractures are associated with a 15% increase in 5-year mortality. This is associated with increased morbidity, such as back pain, loss of height, poor balance, and respiratory compromise from restrictive lung disease or pneumonia. Know that a history of one vertebral fracture results in a 5-fold increased risk of a second vertebral fracture and a 5-fold increased risk of hip fracture. History of two vertebral fractures is the strongest indicator for further compression fractures in postmenopausal women. In terms of hip fractures, this is associated with a 20% increase in mortality. Know that men have higher mortality rates following hip fractures than women. Hip fractures are associated with increased morbidity and reduced quality of life. And again, know that only one-third of patients with hip fractures return to their previous level of function. History of one hip fracture results in up to a tenfold increased risk of a second hip fracture. Finally, moving on to the FRAC score, which is a WHO fracture risk assessment tool that calculates the 10-year risk of hip fracture and 10-year risk of major osteoporosis-related fractures. Factors include age, sex, personal history of fracture, low BMI, oral steroid use, secondary osteoporosis, parental history of hip fracture, as well as smoking status and alcohol intake. Okay, so now that we've gone over the major points about this topic, let's go over a few questions to apply the information and get a sense of how this topic has been tested on past exams. First question. Which of the following is the greatest predictor of future vertebral fractures in a postmenopausal woman? And the choices are 1. Treatment with bisphosphonates. 2. Age greater than 75 years old. 3. T-score of minus 2.8. 4. Hip fracture within the last 6 months. 
and five, history of two previous vertebral compression fractures. The correct answer to this question is five, history of two previous vertebral compression fractures. So history of two previous vertebral compression fractures is the strongest predictor of future compression fractures in postmenopausal women. Compression fractures are the most commonly encountered fragility fracture, followed by hip fractures and distal radius fractures. Fragility fractures are directly associated with a degree of bone loss, which is calculated based on DEXA, or dual-energy X-ray absorptometry scans. Osteoporosis is diagnosed when the T-score, which is the bone mineral density matched to young controls, is less than minus 2.5. History of a single vertebral compression fracture carries a five-fold increased risk of a second vertebral compression fracture and a five-fold increased risk of a hip fracture. However, the strongest indicator of further compression fractures in postmenopausal women is history of two vertebral compression fractures. Lee et al. reviewed the effectiveness of bisphosphonates for preventing recurrent fragility fractures. They reported that patients taking bisphosphonates had a lower rate of subsequent fragility fracture and mortality compared to matched controls. They concluded that pain, quality of life, and improved bone mineral density are additional benefits of taking bisphosphonates. Dang et al. reviewed recurrent fragility fractures in a cross-sectional analysis. They reported on over a million patients with fragility fractures and found an incidence of 5.8% for second fragility fractures within the first year. They concluded that vertebral compression fractures seen in 13.8% of patients and proximal humerus fractures seen in 13.2% were most likely to be associated with recurrent fragility fractures. To quickly go over the incorrect answers, answer 1, treatment with bisphosphonates decreases the incidence of recurrent fragility fractures. Answer 2, age greater than 75 is not associated with additional fragility fractures. Answer 3, while a T-score of minus T.8 is diagnostic of osteoporosis, it is not as predictive of future fragility fractures as having a history of two previous vertebral fractures. Finally, answer four, patients with previous hip fractures are at risk for future fragility fractures, but the association is not as high as with previous vertebral fractures. Moving on to the next question, which of the following antibody-based therapy has an association with jaw osteonecrosis? And the choices are one, denosumab, two, teriparatide, three, pomidronate, four, salmon calcitonin, and five, conjugated estrogen progestin hormone replacement. The correct answer to this question is one, denosumab. So denosumab is an antibody-based therapy that targets receptor activator of nuclear factor kappa B ligand, or rank L, and reduces osteoclast function. It is associated with jaw osteonecrosis. Denosumab is an antibody-based therapy used in the treatment of osteoporosis and is used in the treatment of cancers such as giant cell tumors of the bone. It functions by binding to rank L, thereby indirectly inhibiting the activation of osteoclasts. The result is increased bone mineralization. The function of denosumab is similar to osteoprotegrin. Benefits of therapy include reduced vertebral fractures by 68%, hip fractures by 40%, and non-vertebral fractures by 20%. Chaula et al. published results from a phase 2 study on the safety of denosumab in skeletally mature patients with giant cell tumor of the bone. Complications identified included jaw osteonecrosis in 1% of patients, hypocalcemia in 15% of patients, hypophosphatemia in 3% of patients, as well as back and extremity pain in 3% of patients. Severe adverse events were identified in 9% of patients. They recommended the use of denosumab for the treatment of giant cell tumor of the bone.
Kyrgyz et al. systematically reviewed risk factors for the development of osteonecrosis among cancer patients. They found that denosumab is not different compared to zolindronic acid for the development of osteonecrosis of the jaw. However, prescribing clodronate or pomidronate may reduce the risk compared to zolindronic acid and denosumab. The greatest risk factor, however, was dental extraction for osteonecrosis in cancer patients. Brandstetter et al. analyzed the histologic effect of denosumab on giant cell tumor of the bone. They found a 90% decrease or greater of all tumor giant cells and a reduction in tumor stromal cells in all patients. 65% of patients had increased fiber osseous and or new woven bone formation. They conclude that denosumab has potential as treatment of giant cell tumor of the bone. To quickly go over the incorrect answers, answer 2, teriparatide is a recombinant human parathyroid hormone and can be used to treat jaw osteonecrosis. Answer 3, pomidronate, a bisphosphonate, is an anti-osteoclastic medication with an association with jaw osteonecrosis. However, it is not an antibody-based therapy. Answer 4, salmon calcitonin can be used to increase bone mineral density. However, it is not associated with jaw osteonecrosis. And finally, answer 5, conjugated estrogen progestin hormone replacement can be used to treat osteoporosis and increases bone mineral density. However, it is not associated with jaw osteonecrosis. And moving on to the final question, which of the following is accurate regarding sclerostin? And the choices are 1. Anti-sclerostin antibodies result in increased bone density. 2. Sclerostin induces osteoblastic differentiation. 3. Sclerostin inhibits osteoblast and osteocyte apoptosis. 4. Sclerostin antagonizes BMP binding to the LRP5-6 receptor. And 5. SOST or the SOST gene mutations have been linked to hereditary osteoporosis. The correct answer to this question is 1. Antisclerostin antibodies result in increased bone density. So sclerostin is a direct antagonist of the wnt beta catenin pathway and thus a key regulator of the formation of mineralized bone matrix and bone mass. Antisclerostin antibodies result in inactivation of sclerostin, thereby promoting the anabolic Wnt-beta-catenin pathway and resulting in increased bone density. To quickly review, sclerostin is a glycoprotein encoded by the SOST or SOST gene and produced primarily by osteocytes. It acts as a negative regulator of bone mass by directly antagonizing Wnt binding to the LRP5-6 receptor, thereby leading to beta-catenin degradation and reduction of Wnt target gene expression. This results in anti-anabolic properties including inhibition of osteoblastic differentiation, bone formation, and loss of inhibition of osteoblast and osteocyte apoptosis. Genetic mutations resulting in loss of function or decreased expression of SOST have been linked to endosteal hyperostosis, increased bone mass, and increased bone density as with Van Buchem disease and sclerosteosis. As a result, new immunotherapies targeting sclerostin, such as romosozumab and blosozumab, are being investigated for their utility toward treating osteoporosis and have shown promising results. Recker et al. presented a double-blinded phase 2 randomized controlled trial of blosozumab in the treatment of low bone mineral density in postmenopausal women. The authors found that administration of the monoclonal antibody resulted in significant dose-dependent increases in bone mineral density at the spine and the hip. The authors concluded that the anti-sclerostin antibody was effective in the treatment of low bone mineral density in postmenopausal women. To quickly go over the incorrect answers, answer 2, sclerostin induces osteoblastic differentiation is incorrect as sclerostin antagonizes Wnt, thereby inhibiting osteoblastic differentiation.
Answer three, sclerostin inhibits osteoblast and osteocyte apoptosis is incorrect as sclerostin antagonizes Wnt, thereby indirectly promoting by inhibiting the inhibition of osteoblastic differentiation. Answer four, sclerostin antagonizes BMP binding to the LRP5-6 receptor is incorrect as sclerostin antagonizes Wnt binding to the LRP5-6 receptor. And finally, answer five, SOST gene mutations have been linked to hereditary osteoporosis is incorrect as SOST gene mutations resulting in decreased expression of sclerostin lead to an under or uninhibited Wnt slash beta-catenin pathway and thereby increased bone mass, such as would be seen in Van Buchem disease or sclerosteosis. That's all for this review about osteopenia and osteoporosis. Hopefully that was helpful. This is the OrthoBullets podcast, a daily audio review session by OrthoBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for orthopedic surgery education. Keep in mind that these podcasts are designed to go along with the topics on orthobullets.com, and in fact, you can listen to these episodes right on the OrthoBullets website or mobile app while going through the topic. If you've gotten any value from the OrthoBullets podcast so far, please consider leaving us a five-star rating and writing us a review on Apple Podcasts. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Also, if you aren't already, be sure to follow OrthoBullets on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, and YouTube for daily high-yield content. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you all tomorrow right here on the OrthoBullets podcast.